Children are our most precious commodity. Every good parent wants to bring up the best possible child. They also represent our future, generations. How we raise our children will impact how they will raise their children. So it's actual perpetual. But the big question, especially in our turbulent times, with so many distractions, so many options, how to raise happy children. This is the first of a three-part course, How to Raise Happy Children. This first part will cover what is the nature of a child. Hello everyone, Simon Jacobson here. This is the first part of a three-part series called How to Raise Happy Children. This first part will cover what is the nature of a child. This program is dedicated in memory of Label Ben Avraham, Leonard Finkelstein. Children are our most precious commodity. Every good parent, every healthy parent, wants to bring up the best possible child, the best possible children. But it's not so simple. We live in a world with so many different distractions, options. And us ourselves as parents, we're far from perfect. We carry the baggage, the injuries, the wounds, the scars of our own childhood. So... Is there a method? Is there a formula? Children also represent our future, the next generation. How we raise them will determine how they will raise their children. So this isn't just a short-term, one-time thing. It's really about defining life itself, defining the mark that you as a parent will make in this world, a mark that will last, a footprint footprint that will perpetuate far longer and farther than just our immediate lifetimes. So it's an important subject to address. But as soon as you ask the question, how to raise happy children, we have to define what is a child. You can't determine the happiness of something unless you determine what it is that makes that thing tick. It would be like saying how to bring happiness to a particular situation. If you don't know what the situation is, how do you know what happiness is? If you try to force something that by nature belongs in a a circle try to force a square peg into a circle, it's not going to be happy exactly. So before we talk about the happiness of something, what makes something wholesome, we have to determine what is the thing, what is the nature of that thing. Very often, our intentions may be good. We want to bring someone happiness. But we've not determined what makes them tick, what defines them. 
So though the objective is good, but we have to determine whether the thing that you're bringing happiness to fits the model, fits the goals and objectives that you're setting for it. This is true with bringing up children. It's true in education. You have a student. So some students respond to certain type of motivation, others to others. Some are very visual. Some are very audio-oriented. Determining the nature of your student, determining the nature of the recipient, can then lead you to figure out how to tailor whatever is that you do, whatever it is that you do to that particular recipient, to that particular student. In this case, we're talking about children. I find from my experience, very often, people want the best for their children, but what does the word best mean? The best on your terms or the best on the child's terms? So we determine at times certain standards and goals, and it's not necessarily the right thing for our child. Classic examples where parents want their children to be either a doctor or a lawyer. But this child, this particular child, happens to be very creative, very artistic. Can you force them? Everyone can be forced. Will they be happy? Will they really actualize themselves? Will they not be haunted in a certain way because you force them or push them in a direction that doesn't really fit their personality? This happens to many of us. You ask many people, do you like your job? No, not necessarily. Most people don't actually like their jobs. Some have learned to like it because I'm making a living. You know, I'm living, I'll live with it already. Some continue to hate their jobs. They just do it only because it's a means to an end. And then there's the few that love their jobs. You can imagine when you love what you're doing, you're going to invest and you're going to actualize and you're going to shine and blossom. That's what we want of our children. Not to force them into any situation that is not them. So the most important thing to do when we begin this discussion, how to raise happy children, is to determine what is the true nature of a child. And that too doesn't come easily because many adults, the parents are adults. So we have our prejudices, our biased, our preconceived notions. And are we imposing that on our children? Not just our interests may be different. That The child may not be wired exactly like a mother or father, even though genetically they may be your children. But there's an additional element. Not just what they're interested in, but the very nature of a child is fundamentally different than an adult in so many different ways. And that needs to be addressed as well. So let's begin with that. What is the fundamental personality of every child. And then we'll talk about, of course, children are different. No two children are alike, just like no two adults are alike. One of the things, most important things to remember is that children, a child, is the best version of humanity. Because it's not man-made. The way the child is born, and I'm talking about, of course, a healthy child, not, God forbid, someone born with any type of handicap or distortions. They're also beautiful, and their souls are beautiful, but that requires its own discussion. A healthy child is coming from another place. Whether you want to call it from God, it's definitely not man-made. So in a way, the analogy I love is that a child is like freshly fallen snow. Pure white. You ever wake up in the morning and the world, your street, everything is bedecked 
covered the glorious sparkle, the snow crystals. Something about it that evokes purity, innocence. And then, sadly, you begin to see people trample on the snow, begins to get dirty, hardened. It's no longer that pure, fluffy snow. Just an analogy. A child is that purely fresh and freshly fallen snow. Has not yet absorbed or been impacted by the toxins of the world. Physically, psychologically, emotionally, spiritually. Physical healthy body of a child works fluidly, smoothly. You ever see a child's chest heave up and down? A newborn child, a young child. The lungs are working perfectly. Look at an adult, our lungs are 70% capacity, 80%. Toxins have entered our lives. So this child, not just physically, but also emotionally and psychologically and spiritually, is in its purest form. No adult can come close to that. We may seek to, and we may try to reintroduce, and we should try to access the inner child, that innocence. But when thinking about a child, remember, the child is not you it may be you in an earlier version of you. Like I always like to say, in technology, a mobile phone, a version 11, is better than a version 10 in most cases. And 10 is better than 9, and 9 is better than 1.0. But with life, I would say the child, the 1.0 version, as soon as it emerges from its mother's womb, boy or girl, is the purest version. And from there, it goes, I don't like to say the word downhill, but it's quite, not quite like the original. Vital for parents to know this, to know this 24-7 in your gut, that you're dealing here with something that is exactly that, a pure, fragile, vulnerable, defenseless, innocent child. And I say that in a good way. See, as adults, we've developed all kinds of defenses and mechanisms and armor to protect ourselves from predators, from exploiters, from a hostile world, Children don't have all that. They will learn that from us. And I'm not suggesting that you leave a child be vulnerable. Of course you want to educate your child to deal with the challenges. But before we put on armor, we first have to know what's inside the armor. That's why it's vital to understand that precious soul. So what is a soul in its purest form? Entering a body upon conception, nine months later, emerges into this world, the umbilical cord is cut. It no longer That child is no longer completely submerged in the embryonic waters and protected in its mother's womb. Now it has entered the world. Hopefully, in a beautiful, nurturing home, it will continue to be protected, loved, nurtured, nourished. But now it's breathing on its own. It's eating on its own, drinking on its own. In the stages of development of a child, but above all, it's a spirit inside of a body. There's a mind at work. There's a heart at work. It's all very in its infancy, but it's there. The impressions a child will have at the earliest stages of life will be indelible, will remain forever. A good analogy, a warm ball of wax. Earlier I said freshly fallen snow. A warm ball of wax, soft, malleable. Every experience, for good or for bad, will become engraved in this warm wax. And as it hardens, just as the body will harden, and the bones will harden, and the arteries will harden, that 
experience will also become part and parcel of that what was once soft wax. So the wax hardens with all its scars and injuries and positive experiences. That's why children retain memories, beautiful memories, and sadly, if there's abuse or other forms, that are not that easy to just dislodge because now they're, the wax is hardened. It's in there. You can't just go melt the wax and say, let me get it out of there like a splinter. It's in there. This is what we need to, as parents, this is the consciousness. You need to apply yourself to think about that. That's your child. That beautiful, yes, innocent, vulnerable soul. Impressionable. And whatever happens in those earliest stages of life, the earlier, the more impact. So how you speak and how you communicate. You may think, okay, the child is deaf, mute, and blind. God forbid, but I mean figuratively speaking. No. There was one such child psychology that did believe that. The child may not communicate like we do and does not necessarily listen as we do. But everything is entering into the consciousness of that child. That's why you find in the Talmud such beautiful stories how one mother took her little child in the cradle and would go to the study hall they wanted, wanted the child to just listen to the words, to the holy words, sacred words. Not words coming out of a radio or a internet. Obviously that didn't exist then, but meaning words coming from a lot of noise and turbulence with messages that are either nonsense or worse. Holy words of deeper wisdom. The child can't understand. What's the point? And later, this little child growing up, you know how he was complimented by his great colleagues, he became a great sage? Ashrei, beloved, is the one that gave birth to you. Because your life was shaped by your mother's attentiveness, care. So exposing your children to beautiful things, to holy words, to beautiful music and poetry, and sensitivity. There'll be plenty of time to expose them to other stuff shapes their earliest formative years and will define their lives. Don't ever underestimate that. Surround them with beauty, with love. You have a disagreement with your spouse, don't do it in the bedroom of your child. Try not to have disagreements and definitely not ones that are aggressive and painful. But try to keep, if anything, even if a little tension Children need beauty and love. I'll take it a step further. Maybe because of the children, maybe you find a new way to disagree. We all disagree at times, but there's ways to do it with love. You want loving vibes in your home, in the environment, and definitely in front of your children. So I'm not talking about faking it and saying, okay, we'll behave nicely in front of them, and then as soon as they go to sleep, or we'll run out of the house and we'll become angry at each other. This is an opportunity. It's a point I wanted to make a little later, but I'll just point it out. Our children also opportunity for our own rebirth. But let's go back to the flow. So first point is recognizing that the child is a pure soul. And therefore treating it accordingly. You want to make a ha- create a happy child, raise a happy child. You need to feed the child according to its needs. And that, that its needs are to be surrounded by beautiful dignified behavior, words, 
thoughts, actions, and just an environment that's uplifted, a transcendent environment. The world out there is hostile enough. The child will be exposed to that one day, sadly. But now in this innocence, create an innocent environment for innocent children, for pure, a pure environment for pure souls. Let's take this a step further. Define this purity. You may have heard that TED lecture by one of the child psychologists in Great Britain. I believe Robinson, I think is his name. Really a all-out critique on Western civilization's form of education of children. Calling it elementary school. Making the case that most of our education today was established by Frederick the Great and Napoleon to create efficient soldiers. So the focus of the education was on physical sciences, mathematics, physics, accounting, law. We need efficient machines. And things like art, creativity, where you need imagination and dreaming, that's less tangible, the more transcendent teachings, became extracurricular. Children, in effect, are the exact opposite. They're not machines. They're dreamers. Look at a little child exploring. There's a certain spontaneity, a free abandon, and a sense of adventure. When we take children and force them into structures, and we'll get to that in a moment, I'm not suggesting complete no discipline and no structure, but when we take their minds and say, instead of dreaming, tell me what 2 plus 2 equals 4, not dismissing the value of the tool chest that mathematics and other sciences provide, but you don't want to dampen and weaken that ability to dream, to imagine, to hope. How important in life is hope? How many of us lose hope? because of adult attitudes. So again, recognizing that a child is by nature a creative, artistic type. Obviously not all will grow up with that being their strong inclination. But there's something all of us need because children are learning all the time. And learning requires openness. Not structures that limit you. So he makes his suggestions, which means bring into the children, let them dream. Reward them for that. Incentivize them. Let their minds flow. Let them dream. Let them imagine. Obviously, we all need structures. We all need to be taught. This is the time we go to sleep when we eat. Don't cross the street by yourself. Discipline is required, but it's not the driving force. That's to make sure, like a gardener, to make sure that as you're planting the garden, you also need to weed it. But the weeding is only secondary to planting the flowers, nurturing them. And this example is actually a perfect example for our topic. Parents are gardeners. We don't create the flowers. We don't create the garden. But we nurture it. We protect it. We make sure that the nutrients are there to make things grow. We water it. We nurture. We love our children being the flowers, our children being the garden. And we also weed it. We uproot negative influences, make sure there's a certain healthy discipline in, in the process. The garden example also tells us that we don't create our children. They're a gift given to us. We're here to protect them. We're here to nurture them. We're here to help cultivate their spirits to become the best they can possibly be. So in addition to point number one, 
to sum up, point number one is, what is a child? Is this pure, innocent, impressionable spirit? Number two, it's a dreamer. Essentially, children are more spiritual than adults, frankly. Because spirituality is what is beyond us. Children sense it. They may not have sophisticated understanding of it. They definitely don't. And they can't articulate it. But instinctively, they respond to, you know what? To things that are ethereal. Not to material things. I remember asking my grandchild, just as an experiment, tell me, Luba, what would you do? I would give you a million dollars. She didn't even blink. She just walked away thinking something's the matter with me. I called her back. I said, what happens if I gave you a million Legos? Ah, she got all excited. She didn't realize you can buy Lego with dollars. Because money means nothing to children. Materialism means nothing. Obviously, they need to eat and sleep and so on. But we value it, so we think they value it. Or we actually project upon them to value it. They don't value it. Not because it's in value, because their focus is, for a child, you want to know what the top ten of a child's life is? Love, protection, consistency, which I shall lead to in a moment, security, nurturing. Yes, transcendent spirit. That's the nature of a child. Feed a child that, and you have a child that will blossom and thrive. Talking about consistency, the child needs security. As adults, we may have learned already how to be secure, how to protect ourselves. Children don't know that. So for them, it's a given that what their home is their life. That's why a child, even in a very abusive home, won't walk out of the house. Because they don't see a world outside the house. The threshold is the end of the world. If they walk out of the house like walking off this earth. Their parents are everything. Their home is everything. Consistency. I'm sleeping in the same bed every night. The schedules. These are invisible forces, but they give the child a sense of security. You uproot a child in the sense of, you know, removing and then you move again. Nomadic life always creates a type of lack of security and therefore a lack of trust. Which brings me to the next thing, trust. Children need trust. They need to trust their parents. They need to trust their loved ones. When there's inconsistency, an alcoholic raging father coming, a raving alcoholic coming into a home, and children don't know what mood he's going to be in that night. I'm just using an extreme example. That creates fear, insecurity. What's going to be? How could anyone growing up with that type of attitude not have issues? Whereas you go, you know your parent is there. You know where they are. You know you can rely on their love. It won't be sporadic. It won't be fragmented. That builds trust and commitment. So what do you see from all of this? That children are essentially that unshaped, that swarm ball of wax, that white, fresh snow, and everything impacts them. You must be aware of it. And everything you do is either feeding their, secu- their security and the love and the nurturing and allowing them to explore and feeling the confidence that you build in them. That no matter what you take upon, I am always going to validate that. By contrast, critique, absenteeism, negativity, creates the opposite, an insecure child. The next point, don't impose your opinions on your child. Yes, values, but not your values, higher values. Not because they're yours. 
Parents have their opinions, they're locked in, usually due to their own insecurity. And then they basically almost impose it, if not completely impose it on their children. How could you think differently? You're stupid. He's stupid. That one's stupid. You want your children to be secure and open-minded. Yes, you may have a strong opinion, but present it in a way that's not my opinion that you must accept. Let them absorb it. Obviously, as young children, you can't just let them do whatever they want because your opinion may be the most important opinion. But as they grow a little older, you want them to be able to even disagree in a respectful way. Allow them to be themselves. How many people, how many children will tell you, I never became myself. I'm I'm in my shadow of my father or my mother, what they wanted of me, what they expected of me. And if I didn't do that, they would smirk. They would reject me. They tried to control me. And that's what my life has become, defined by their expectations. You know how much damage that does? On the other hand, you hear children that say, my parents, they love me. They taught me values by example. But they never suffocated me. They never limited me from spreading my wings. Imagine a tree growing, but you build walls all around it. What do you think is going to happen? You want the tree to grow with strong, firm roots, going back to the garden analogy, but at the same time, you want it to be able to expand, encouraging your children to grow. That's the most nachas, the most joy a parent would have when you see that. So all this brings us back to the point, what is the nature of a child? Understanding that nature will allow you to feed the child properly. Just like the nature of a child is to eat healthy food. Give the child unhealthy food will cause problems. So to bring it all together, if I were able to sum it up in one exercise, in one experience, in one, in one uh, approach, obviously there are many details in it, I would say you need to, as a good parent, not just validate but reinforce and nurture your child's uniqueness and independence. And here's a simple way to do it. Every morning when your child wakes up and every night before they go to sleep, in addition to telling them I love you and how was your day and all that comes with that, make this statement with them. You are my most precious soul. You were given to me as a gift If you're comfortable, say God sent you as a special soul. You have a unique contribution to make in this world. I am your parent. I'm blessed to be your parent. I'm here to do whatever it takes to protect you, to nurture you, to help you actualize that uniqueness of your particular soul. Thank you for returning my soul to me, say together with your child each morning. Thank you for making me indispensable. Thank you for the gift that you are. And I will do whatever it takes as a parent to help you through this day and through all the days of your life to learn to actualize and sing your unique song. You have a unique and irreplaceable mission that is exclusive to you. Imagine as a parent saying this every day to your child and every evening, it will ultimately have unbelievable impact. Not once, every day. Firstly, it will evoke questions, discussions. What is this soul? 
What is this uniqueness? Secondly, it will bring attention to the fact, okay, what are we doing to nurture your unique self? You notice nothing about it is, is the means. You're not saying you're going to be a great doctor or a great lawyer or make a lot of money. Those are means. You're talking about the very personality, the very soul, the very psyche of your child. You're nurturing it. You're protecting it. You're the gardener watching over your garden. Now, obviously, when an issue comes up, the same attitude. How do we bring the best out of you? And if a child misbehaves, discipline is in order, but always out of love. The discipline is like the rooting, uprooting of the weeds to make sure the flowers grow, not as an end in itself. So you see a child do something wrong. What you do is you don't invalidate them. You don't demoralize the child. You say, such a beautiful person. How much more is expected of you? The thing you did is not a good thing. We need to deal with that. But it should always come with that message. What you want, the end product, is a confident, secure, trusting child that can take on life and every challenge and not be driven by fear and insecurity and all the phobias and neurosis that affect adults. None of us are going to be perfect. But what you've done is the effort, the approach is the best you can do. There'll be challenges. As I said, there'll be imperfections. No parent is perfect. But when you take that general attitude and you understand understand your, I would say product, understand your child, understand what a child is made of, then you'll address it very differently. Try it out. It may be a new approach. Most of us don't think of it this way. Then, of course, as understanding and appreciating, each child has their unique strengths, unique weaknesses. So do everything possible to maximize the strengths and to minimize the weaknesses or harness them. And remember, with trust, confidence, love, and nurturing, anything can be achieved. One day, unfortunately, the child will lose his or her innocence. But they'll lose it in the technical sense, but they'll retain the freshly fallen snow, that sense of expansiveness, that sense of transcendence with the rest of their lives. Even as they enter a more toxic and polluted and hostile world, they will have much to hold on to. And in turn, as I mentioned, there's a verse at the end of one of the books of the prophets that the hearts of the parents will return through the hearts of their students, of their children, I should say. The hearts of the parents will return through the hearts of their children. This is an opportunity of rebirth, of a second attempt, that even if your childhood may have been aborted or hurt in some way, with your children, you can re-experience childhood. So instead of us looking at turning children and shaping them to be us, we want them to be themselves, and we want to learn from them, learn from their uniqueness, from their purity. You know how much you can learn from a child? Much more than a child can learn from an adult. From an adult, we learn the methods. We learn what we gain from experience, the seasoning, the maturity, being aware of things that a child may not be aware of. But on a qualitative, soulful level, children offer us infinite wisdom from the mouth of babes, infinite insights, and broadening our horizons. So in turn, we all feed each other, nurture each other, and turn this your family, your children, your family into a beautiful garden 
and by effect, by ripple effect, turning your community into a beautiful garden and by extension, the larger world. This has been part one. What is, what is the nature of a child of this three-part series called How to Raise Happy Children? Next week, we will do part two. Please join us. Go to MeaningfulLife.com. Full array, wide array, and a robust series of programs and classes. Check out the calendar. Check out the different materials we offer. And be blessed. Please share. Please comment. We love and feed off your suggestions and ideas and thoughts. Be well. This program is brought to you by the Meaningful Life Center. Please help us continue our programs. Make even a small contribution at MeaningfulLife.com slash donate.